It crossed my mind. If you would please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you read the EDOV this past week, you are familiar uh, with what I'm about to say. These These next two weeks are very, very important weeks for us for a very well-established and important ministry at Blue Valley Baptist Church called Food for His Glory. I'm going to ask Stacy McCulley if she would come. Uh, Stacy and her husband Rob were the ones that really got Food for His Glory going at Blue Valley many, many years ago. And for people that might not know, Stacy, what is Food for His Glory? Food for His Glory is a ministry that we started after we uh, went to Pune, India in 2013. Um, We saw children in the Ramtikiti slum eating out of the garbage heaps, and um, so we started a feeding ministry that following year in 2013. Um, For $15 a month, we feed a child every day that month. We clothe them, we um, tutor them, and then we also um, tell them about Jesus. And Blue Valley, uh, our people have been the ones that have really been the contributors to this. And you are the, the contributors, contributors. Yes. So It doesn't exist without, without these people. Mm-mm. And just out of curiosity, how many people then were we able to feed and do all of these things you talked about last year? 466 children. All right, for $15 a month. And actually, probably more than that because um, a lot of times if a family comes and they don't have food, we will come alongside and, and feed them as well. And so you are here today because? Uh, because this is our annual sign-up day. So if you haven't signed up before, we would love to have you uh, join us and invest in this ministry. Um, if you have signed up before, would you please stop by and renew your commitment? Um We will always need more uh, people to give because the slum is huge and we can only feed what we have money to feed. All right, and uh, we can do that this week or next week. That's correct. They can catch you in the foyer Mm -hmm. on the way out. And can I say one more thing? Uh, Well, you got the mic. Okay. So. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's Um, right. Someone. There you go. Um, one of the uh, one of the church members uh, reminded me at eight o'clock um, to let you know that if you have a uh, a work that has a matching grant, um, if you give it to our five hundred one c three, which is Sparsh Global, and I have all that information S-P-A-R-S-H, out there. S P A R S H. Yes, Global. that means touch to touch in India, in in Hindi. Um, if you if you give directly to that, then your, um, your work, who might not be able to uh, give to a church, can give to our uh, ministry. All right. All because right. they don't know that we are Christian-based. All right. Great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, now they do. Don't I need to teach tell. you how to use a mic. You know, it's right. No, it's fine. Thank you so much, Stacy. We appreciate it. All right, we are in a four-week series of messages looking at our core values as a church. And today, we are going to spend some time talking about those things that we value that feed church growth. Blue Valley values church growth, things that promote church growth, because we believe that the local church should be a growing 
church. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a growing church? Does that mean that we believe that bigger is is always better at Blue Valley? In other words, does church growth mean that the success of our church should be measured by how many people that we can count across three services here and two services at Ridgeview and our Hispanic mission on Sunday? Does that is that what church growth means? Or does it mean that Blue Valley really doesn't care about how many are here as much as we care about deepening, rooting people in Jesus, those who are. In other words, does church growth mean that the success of our church should be measured by how well individual members are growing in their faith in Jesus? Now, here, here's why the answer to that question is an important one. The church as a whole only values what its individual members value. You understand that? We can't value corporately what we don't value individually. And each person here made some kind of value judgment on my explanation of those two different understandings of church growth. A bigger church should be the goal. That's what church growth means. That's what some of you thought. Others of you thought a deeper church should be the, the goal. That's that's what church growth should mean. And what you as individuals value will determine what we value corporately as a church. So let's do our best this morning to come to an understanding of what it means to value a growing church by looking at the passage of Scripture I encouraged you to find when we got going, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians was written by a man named Paul who God used to write more of the New Testament than any other human author. And he's famous for many things, but for Bible nerds like myself, the thing that he's most famous for is creating these epically long sentences in his language. If you were to ask Paul, what's your hobby? I, I suspect that he would say, my hobby is trying to create the longest sentence that has ever been created. He, he just does it over and over again. So the six verses at which we'll be looking this morning are just one sentence in, in Paul's language, and so our English translators break it into two sentences to smooth it out for our eyes and for our ears and, and for our minds. So let's look at those two sentences individually by looking at the longest first, beginning in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. English translators said, period, that's enough. Paul says, I had not even got started yet, and he goes on uh, with his sentence. But we have an answer to our question, our either-or question that I began with about church growth. Is it a bigger church or is it a deeper church in the words that I just read? Uh, and it ends up being what you probably anticipated it would be. It's both, both of those things are what church growth means, but you may have missed how Paul pointed it out. Here's what's going on. In verse 7, 
Paul introduced the idea that, that Christ has gifted his church with the grace that it needs to be able to carry out its mission and function on planet Earth. And he's returning to that idea in verse 11 to show specifically how he has graced or gifted his church to carry out its function. And he says this back in verse 11, and he gave for this purpose apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the, the teachers. Now, I want us to look at the, at the five words that Paul uses here, and I want us to see in maybe ways that you've not considered how they balance one another. The first word that Paul uses here is the word apostle, whose basic meaning is one who is sent. If you ever wondered what apostle meant, in Paul's language, it means one who is sent. But here it refers to an official office that emerged in the early church, and it references one who had actually been with Christ, someone who was an eyewitness to his ministry and his teachings, and who, the church believed, had a special calling born of that opportunity to be sent out. There's the word, to be sent out directly by Christ to make him known. So by definition, the ministry of the apostle to make him known is one of expansion. Prophets on the other hand, refer to those gifted by the church, the first century thought, to help them understand and to do the will of God at a time when the Christian faith was brand new and the church, without benefit of what you and I call the New Testament, were really just trying to figure out how this thing called following Jesus worked. So by definition, the ministry of the prophets was one of deepening. Now, also by definition, the gifts of apostleship and prophecy really no longer exist in the modern church because all of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' earthly ministry are with him now and because the New Testament is complete. And, and so because the New Testament is complete, those who discerned the will of God uh, in the new world of Christianity, the prophets are no longer needed, although the act of preaching is something of a cousin to that that first century office of a prophet. All right, so those words balance one another. Next, I want you to see the word evangelist. And that word is familiar enough to us that we, by and large, get what it means. It refers to those who have a calling to go out into the world and to spread the gospel message. So by definition, their ministry is one of expansion. Now, those last two words are meant to be read together, shepherds and teachers. And these words refer to the work of, of elders, uh, whose job it is to care for the church and to instruct the church. By definition, their ministry is one of deepening. So you see how all of these words have balanced one another very specifically with, with uh, apostles and, and prophets balancing one another in expansion and deepening and, and how uh, those who are uh, shepherds and teachers and evangelists balance one another between expansion and deepening. So seeing that here, seeing Paul do this, we should understand that we should never, as we are wont to do, we should never hold the expansion of the church and that goal and the deepening of the church, that goal, in opposition to one another. And what we do in the modern church is frequently take sides and then say our side is the most spiritual. But Paul doesn't do that. 
Paul doesn't do that. He balances both of these things out. He helps us see that that goal of expansion and that goal of deepening are complementary to one another. Christ has, in fact, he is saying, equipped the church for both to happen. And both are needed for every benefit that is described in verses 12 through 14. Without a ministry of both expansion and deepening, the church can't attain unity of faith and deeper knowledge of Jesus, which in Paul's language are necessary to become literally a full-grown man. That's what mature manhood literally meant in Paul's language. But he also tells us, and this is very important, that the benefit of this balanced approach also protects the church from being susceptible to theological nonsense, just junk theology that exists. One of the biggest targets for modern-day false teachers and false religions are those who are immature church members. As a result, the church in America, including the conservative church in America, and in fact today they may be the most guilty, is gripped with error and confusion. The local church should be a growing church, both in depth and in breadth, in order to mature enough as individual believers to therefore be together, know what we believe, to make a broader impact in the world in which we live. Now, let's keep reading. Let's, let's go back to verse 15. It says in Ephesians 4, uh, 15, that rather than speak, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. These verses are the flip side of verse 14. If a church is properly balanced, and each person is doing their part. Did you see that? Each person is doing their part to fulfill the mission of Christ, to expand it and to deepen it for the church. We are able to hold one another accountable to the truth, and we are to grow in our purpose for and love for each other and also in our love for Jesus Christ. This is what the church is meant to be, and this is church growth, a church that is known equally by its efforts to reach more and then to deepen, to establish, to root deeply into Jesus those who have been reached and who are above all things characterized by their love for one another the love for the world they are called to reach, all of it flowing from their love for Jesus. So Paul has taught us how a local church should be growing into greater maturity in Christ-likeness. And like all churches, or at least like all churches, should we value that. It's important to us. And there are three of our 12 core values, which you can find on our website under About Us, Mission, Vision, Values, that frame the importance of church growth for us. Here's the first. Because the local church should be a growing church, we value challenging our church family to take personal responsibility for introducing Christ to those in our circle of influence. In other words, we do value growing wider, growing bigger as a church. But here's a better way of saying it. We value members of our church taking personal responsibility for growing wider, 
growing bigger as a church. That's what this value really says, and it's so important that we get that that is what it says. I came of age in a church life vocationally when it was almost entirely the job of the pastor or the paid staff, if one existed, to make sure the church grew wider, bigger. I mean, they were celebrated, pastors were, staff was. If there were more and they were fired, if there weren't more. From my very first church job in 1986, I was largely hired on whether or not the hiring committee believed that I could lead the church to grow. I hired as a pastor staff largely on whether or not I believed that that prospective staff member could lead their ministry area to grow. Growth, growing bigger as a church, was entirely the responsibility of paid professionals. Now, here's what I noticed. I noticed the church was happy to support the efforts of the paid professionals to grow the church. But by and large, there wasn't any real commitment to help the church grow, to expand the gospel by the church members beyond an invitation to family members or co-workers to come to church with me. Our church is growing. Let me share with you Three stats from LifeWay Research and from Barna Research that highlight why that understanding of how to grow a church is a massive, massive problem. First, direct your attention to the screens. Even if invited by a friend, 66% of church, unchurched people said they were unlikely to attend a church service anytime soon. And then we learned that most of those 66% were just being kind because 49% actually said, I'm very unlikely to attend church even if I'm invited by a friend. Right? Here's the next thing. 79% of unchurched people said, if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind talking about it with them. Wait, What? They're not going to come to church with you. But if you really value your faith and they deem that you're not a big bag of wind and that you're serious about it, 79% said, I'll have a conversation with you about it. All right, here's the last thing I want to call your attention to. Christians increasingly believe that evangelism is the local church's job, not a personal responsibility. In 1993, 10% said It's the church's job. In 2018, 29%. It's the church's job. All right, so here's the deal. You don't have to be an analytic expert, do you? To conclude that for Blue Valley to grow wider, for us to become bigger as a church because we're reaching more people, requires that the members of Blue Valley see that the biggest evangelistic opportunity that we have is not when we are gathered here for worship? I want to say that again. Our biggest evangelistic opportunity is not right now when we're gathered here for worship. It's when the church is scattered Monday through Saturday into neighborhoods and into schools and into businesses of Johnson County. But this also states that that the opportunity to do all of that is missing because we want to continue to pretend it's 1975. 
We want to continue to have these things at church where, you know, I'm going to invite my, my lost friend to come to church and hear the gospel, and then I'll get to watch them do something. Many of you have noted that we don't do what we have done for probably the entire time that Blue Valley's been in existence as a church. We don't do a, a what is known as an invitation at the end of the service where we stand up and we play music and everybody looks around to see who's going to do something. We don't do that anymore. We started not doing it um, when, when COVID hit because not knowing what we know now and wanting to be careful uh, with what was going on. We didn't want people crossing one another and then coming down to the front and getting two feet away from somebody's face. And we just, we just did it to be careful. But when all of it became, you know, a much more commonplace like it is right now, we just quit doing it. Why? Well, I shared why when we did it for the first time in years just a few weeks ago. We don't do it because it communicates that decisions for Jesus are made here, and they're not. They're not. The reason that we don't stand up and look to see if somebody's going to come down is because, by and large, the people who need to respond to Jesus are not here. They're in your backyard. They're in the cubicle next to you. They are in the school desk next to you. That's where they are. What the paid ministry staff ought to do is come watch you and say, Oh, they're in the backyard. Is somebody going to come to Jesus? Well, you say, well, That'd be freaky. <laughs> it would be freaky. But that's, that's what we value. That's what we have to value because there's no plan B for growing wider, for growing bigger as a church. We're not going to pretend like it's 1975 and have big multi-day events with guest speakers and celebrities in order to give you an opportunity to invite somebody to come to church who is probably not going to come. But I hear people say, well, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I'm not confident enough in my faith to have a conversation with someone else about Jesus. Well, that's where this next value comes in. Because the, we believe the local church should be a growing church, we value challenging our church family to take personal responsibility for their personal discipleship and for discipling others using the spiritual disciplines. In other words, we value growing deeper as a church, not just wider or bigger as a church. But here's a better way of saying it. We value members of our church taking personal responsibility for their personal discipleship and discipling others. I, I think that one of the side effects of building a, a church around a paid staff's ability to draw people in is that the Christian life has become largely a spectator sport. By that I mean we observe religious professionals practice the faith and we listen to them teach about the faith and we kind of hope by osmosis that something will happen that will transform us. So then the following stats, thus not wanting to take responsibility for growing in our faith, shouldn't surprise us. These come from Barna. First, maybe there we go. Only 28% of Christian said that I'm discipling somebody else and I'm being discipled. Just a, a, a little bit more than a quarter of us also. Only 28% of Christians said they were being discipled by someone. 
or had ever been discipled by someone. So about a quarter of us would say someone has formally instructed me in the faith. And then this, 39% of Christians say they were not involved in discipleship in any way. I mean, you can't call anything I'm doing discipleship. I come to church. That's about it. Now, listen to this. Barna, in that research, found a direct correlation between being involved in discipleship and saying that my relationship with Jesus is joy-filled and life-giving. So they asked that. Is your relationship with Jesus joy-filled and life-giving? The, the vast majority of people who said yes are engaged in some kind of discipleship process, either being discipled or discipling others. So then, those who take personal responsibility for leveraging their relationships with other believers for the purpose of spiritual growth are the Jesus followers who are most energized by their faith and aren't tossed about to and fro by the wind and waves of what is going on in our world today. That's why we at Blue Valley value discipleship. But we don't just value discipleship. We value a way of doing discipleship, and that way of doing discipleship is exercising what are known as the spiritual disciplines. Now, when most of us think about discipleship, we tend to think of some kind of curriculum we go through, some kind of book that would help us know more theology or know more about a certain subject. Almost everybody that is present in this particular service, if you were a part of church life as a child, especially in a Baptist context, had something called training union. Raise your hand if you remember training union. There's my Baptist. Look at you, training union. And then to get hip and cool sometime around uh, the 80s, it became discipleship training. And so here was the rhythm. Church on Sunday morning, nap, football, 6 o'clock training union, 7 o'clock worship, 8 o'clock pizza, 10 o'clock you went to bed. That's how we grew up. So if you were to ask, well, what do you do in training union? Well, we go through a curriculum. We read a book. We do a study. At the end of doing all of that, we check a box. We send something into the denomination. They tell us we're discipled. And that's the reason that the conservative church is being torn apart by confusion and error. That's not discipleship. That is not Christ being formed in us. A better way of understanding discipleship is apprenticeship, of learning the ways of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, incorporating those ways into our lives. And those ways of Jesus are the spiritual disciplines. When we watch Jesus in Scripture, we see a man who was intimately acquainted with Scripture, who dedicated time to prayer, who worshiped, who spent a lot of time in solitude, who fasted and did a host of other things which opened him up to the flow of the Spirit of God and the person of God in his life so he was ready to respond to the work of God every single second of his day. So our discipleship groups, what we call D groups, don't have a curriculum other than the Bible. And I'm not kidding. It's the only curriculum that our D groups have. And I kid you not, this is an exact quote when we began to roll this out to existing groups. We had an existing group say to us, just the Bible, we tried that a direct quote, I kid you not, it didn't work. What? I mean, it's all we've got, folks. I mean, Scripture's all we have. For 2,000 years, Christians have grown with only this, and suddenly you are so deep and mature 
that you need Mardell's? Seriously, it's the only curriculum we got. And so what we do when we get into our D groups is that we focus on memorizing Scripture, and we focus on prayer, and we focus on Bible study, and we focus on, on learning about fasting and, and solitude and all of the other disciplines that we see in Scripture. And they are done in the context of relationship. Each D group is a group of people who already know one another and who have agreed, you know what, it's time we take personal responsibility for our discipleship. So if you say, I want to be a part of one of those D group things, and you go to Pastor Jonathan and he says, pair me with folks, he'd say, nope, go find some folks. Leverage the relationships that you have. And then when you come and say, I've got a group of people that want to do a D group, then we'll support you. We'll give you the, the things that you need to be able to, to, to do a D group in the way that we have just described. And then our purpose is not that you continue to meet until Jesus returns. After a year, 18 months, we want you to scatter into the church family and find other people that you can take with you through this. Because we are convinced that for Blue Valley to resemble the unity and love of Ephesians 4 requires that we value as individual members, that we take personal responsibility for our personal discipleship and discipling others. And if we get rooted in Jesus, talking about him out in the world, speaking the name of Jesus to the world that needs to hear his name, will become second nature for us. Now, as we wrap up, I want to share with you one other value that I think is especially challenging and that you will hear about more and more as the years go by. Because we believe a local church should be a growing church, we value challenging our church family to consider God's call to co-vocational, bivocational, or full-time vocational ministry and sending those called people out to serve God's kingdom. In other words, we value growing not just bigger and not just wider. We value growing further as a church. Or put it another way, we value our individual members going further away from Blue Valley to serve God's kingdom in a co-vocational or full-time vocational way. When you've been someplace for a long time, like I've been at Blue Valley, you look back, you just find yourself very naturally looking back over the time and wondering what you would have done differently. Not seeing if there are any regrets, although there are always going to be regrets, just looking at a few things that you would have done differently. And I've done that, having been here for 15 years. But chief among the things I'd do differently would be an emphasis on challenging men and women if they've been called to ministry life. We've had a, a few young men over the years who've been called to ministry and are either active currently in ministry training or active in ministry vocationally. And we've had some folks step into vocational ministry from here within the church. Pastor Jonathan was a layperson here at Blue Valley before he stepped into a ministry role. And by the way, just to again kind of show on myself how I've had to grow, I, I interviewed him the first summer I was here for a position, and I didn't hire him. You know why? Didn't feel like he could help us get bigger. <laughs> right, Jonathan? Absolutely. How stupid am I, right? And what would we be without Pastor Jonathan? I mean, what would we be without Pastor Jonathan? But we've also had people like Dr. Tracy McElhatton, layperson, step in 
serving us remarkably well as our director of early childhood here at Blue Valley. Same thing with Jen Kipas on the Ridgeview campus. But we've really never emphasized the call to ministry, and we should have, mainly because now we understand that we are a church that seeks to establish campuses locally and plant autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. And all of those things are going to need pastors and age-graded ministers. And the best candidates to fill those positions are the people that I'm looking at right now across our services. Most of you, maybe all of you, properly called by God could do that anywhere in the world. You could do that and maintain your, your secular employment, which you're going to need to do because the churches that have the ability to have a full-time pastor, much less a paid ministry staff, are dwindling rapidly. But that's okay because, again, many of you in this room, properly called by God, could earn a comfortable living doing something else. But you could also, because of COVID, work anywhere in the world with the rise of remote working. And so here's my prayer. My prayer is that when we get to 2028, our first kind of measuring post for the Multiply campaign, that we will have had someone from this church called to ministry or experiencing the, 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 the beginnings of a call to ministry at that time who are collecting a group of people to go with them to some other part of our city, some other part of our region, some other part of our world to establish a church where God and his kingdom need one. So those are the things that we value because we believe that a local church should be a growing church. And I get that this series that we're now halfway through is different than the kinds of things that we normally do. Normally we grab a book of the Bible, we plow through it. But it's important for us to hear these things because again, going back to the beginning, we will never be as a body what we aren't as individuals. 